Imagine your wedding day on white marble floors beneath crystal chandeliers and exquisite ceiling drapery. Nestled on Long Bay Point Marina in Virginia Beach, the Gala 417 is a modern and luxurious waterfront wedding venue with all-inclusive packages, award-winning catering packages, and a dedicated team of gala girls to assist you every step of the way. The Gala is the perfect place to say, I do. Your dream wedding is just a click away. Learn more at thegala417.com. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everybody and welcome back. My name's Deborah Hatswell and you're listening to BBR Investigations. Last week I shared with you a number of reports from the files of Iger Burtsev, a renowned hominologist. Over the years, Iger has worked closely with Chris L. Murphy, who is a Canadian researcher and investigator and is well known in the world of Sasquatch studies. Chris has written several books, including Meet the Sasquatch, Sasquatch and Bigfoot, The Mystery of the Wild Man, Bigfoot Encounters in New York and New England, Bigfoot Encounters in Ohio, Sasquatch in British Columbia, and the Monster Trilogy Guide and Bigfoot the Film Journal, to name but a few. I think in total Chris has written or co-written around 33 books. He's spoken to fellow researchers in every country of the world and he's collected hundreds of witness statements, some of which I would like to share with you tonight. In the beginning of his research, Chris steadfastly believed that the Sasquatch people were just relic hominids. Now, all these years later, he feels very differently. He believes Sasquatch and all beings are found in quantum space. Us humans glimpse snatches of these creatures and beings, hence the worldwide number of reports. In the quantum world, no land, food or habitat is needed. This might equate to the theory that energy is at the source of all otherworldly activity. I know that research is fluid and ever-changing, and I feel that Chris might be onto something. He theorised that all beings, including us humans, can just vanish. Thousands of cases of this are reported every year. Chris feels that we are not in the real world. The quantum world is real, and from time to time, we interact with that. Ron Moorhead, who is an expert on Sasquatch Beach, also agrees with this theory, as do many other researchers and investigators. And I would encourage you to check it out for yourself if you've not already. For tonight's purposes, I'll be sharing reports that came into Chris when he was running Sasquatch Canada website. I'll leave it up to you yourselves to decide if you agree with the theory or not. I just believe all theories should be looked into. The reports I'll read tonight will be read as they came into Chris. Now, Chris explained, Aboriginal reports of sightings and encounters with the Sasquatch people go back hundreds of years. 
One of the earliest recorded sightings of a Sasquatch by a European man occurred in 1811, near what is now known as the town of Jasper in Alberta, Canada. The report was made by a fur trader and mapmaker named David Thompson. The word Sasquatch comes from the native Salish language and means wild man or hairy man. Sasquatch is a Canadian term and Chris says in the United States the creature is often known as Bigfoot. Now I've chosen reports from separate areas randomly just to give you an idea of just how many reports have been collected by Chris. On his blog you will find some of the pioneers of early Sasquatch research. I find it a really interesting read but let's get back to the reports themselves told by the witnesses in their own words. This report takes place in Bow Valley Peninsula Park in June of 1996. Chief Editor of Animal Watch, Alex Miller, wrote of her encounter with a Sasquatch creature. Alex wrote, My family's always been notorious for doing things at odd hours, as you may well know, Chris. The strangest things always happen late at night, and with this event happened, it was an unusually warm autumn. I was 16 years old, and I had just finished a summer job as an arts and crafts camp counsellor. The only thing left to do was pick up a rather large trunk filled up with my belongings. Unable to fit such a large trunk inside the VW Beetle I'd purchased just a few weeks before, my mum volunteered to transport it from the mountains back to the city in one of the larger cars of the, from the family. Summer camp was a very wild place for me, with staff partying every night until the wee hours in the morning. My room was near the entrance of the staff residence where all these parties took place. By late June, sleep-deprived party wimps like myself were just weeded out. So I built a single mattress-sized platform in the woods and I covered it with polyplastic. It was about a 15-minute walk through the dense forest to get there from the residence or the road. The area is called Bow Valley Provincial Park, an undisturbed, protected forest that was only a stone's throw away from the camp. It's there that my mother along with a small dog named Willow and myself, were going to go and retrieve my trunk at three o'clock on a Monday morning. Why three in the morning? Well, I could say it was the heat, but it was mostly because my father had not yet been told that the car would be leaving town. And I also worried that my little shelter might affect my summer paycheck. My mother had to be at work by 6.30, so we had less than an hour to complete this covert action. And as we approached the highway turnoff, a sliver of moon cast a glowing border around the southwestern Alberta's Mount Yamnuska. Driving several miles along the gravel road, the camp looked deserted. Summer staff had cleared out several weeks before, and a handful of permanent staff were either taking days off in the city or they were asleep in the camp bins several miles from the summer campsite. Angling off on one of the side roads, my mother left the headlights on and pointed them into the trees. And there was some discussion about taking the £20 dog named Willow for protection. However, Willow's track record for wandering off severely threatened a successful completion of the mission, so we left her behind. Plus, very uncharacteristically, the dog refused to get out of the car, was now partially hidden under the driver's seat. The car headlights were of no value after the first few seconds of meandering through the forest. We had a flashlight. I was having difficulty remembering the exact location. The 15-minute walk turned into a 30-minute since scraping bushwhack. But finally, we arrived at the isolated platform. Even though the flashlight batteries were now dead, I assured my mum that all we needed to be done was to take down the polyplastic rain cover 
and just carry the mattress back with the trunk. She should only take two trips. One was noticeably silent as we began working in the darkness. My mother began untying strings, securing the poly to the ground, and I was kneeling on top of the four-foot-high platform, stretching up to reach some tangled binder twine knots tied to the tree. A pungent smell suddenly flooded the air. My eyes moved from the knots to the tall length of plastic, and there, distorted through the semi-transparent poly, was a huge shadow, only about seven feet away, watching us. With a four-foot platform and me kneeling on top, the creature was easily at eye level. A split second later, there was an incredibly loud screaming roar. And although I know of nothing to describe it, the sound was like a peacock scream, a bear growl and a lion roar, all somehow combined. I can't tell you if I screamed. I can't tell you much of anything other than my eyes continued to peer through the plastic at this massive shadow. My five foot three inch tall mother had somehow leapt into the air and was now up on the platform beside me. Whatever it was that was watching us finally turned and walked slowly away on its long hind feet. We continued watching as each heavy step could be heard contracting the ground. There were no visible ears, just a sparse mohawk-like fringe and that was sprouting from the tapering top of the creature's head. From behind, the upper body appeared massive, and it continued to walk upright until disappearing into the trees. We stayed on top of the platform motionless for some time, and then I finally started ripping down the plastic. I have no idea what my mother did during the next 40 or 50 seconds, but my next memory was power walking through that forest. Balancing a single mattress on top of my head with one hand and carrying the handle of the trunk with the other. I assumed my mother was holding up the other end of the trunk. I don't know. With Willow the dog still hidden under the driver's seat, it was a very quiet drive home. Late at night, they say that your mind can play tricks on you. But I am so certain of what we saw. Brown bears had been in the area that summer. But I've never seen a bear walk upright that smoothly. Or for so long? Or could it have been a very large, long, fur-coated man standing over maybe seven feet in height in the middle of the woods at 3am in the morning? I say man because intuition tells me that that creature was male. Could it have been a Sasquatch that night? I mean, I'll never really know for sure, but you can bet that I'll keep telling this story as if it was. Can you imagine being in this witness's position? I mean, she's a 16-year-old girl. It's the middle of the night. You're alone in a vast wilderness area with very little light. That in itself would be creepy. But to see a creature watching you as you remove your shelter from the land, every step back to the car must have been hellish. You know, wondering if he was static where you'd left him or is he following you down the trail? Was he watching? You know, was he merely curious? Or was his intent something else entirely? It would seem no harm was meant to either lady as they both made it back to the car safely. Maybe it was a meeting of two worlds. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With LuckyLandSlots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That night. Luckily, they had each other to validate what they saw. And in some cases, creatures are seen by several people. And each one can back up your claim about what happened that day. And if you choose to share it, there's somebody that can validate it for you. There's an account from the Crandell campground that I think you'll find interesting. And this report was given to Chris by a Mr. Steenberg. And this fascinating encounter took place in the Crandell campground, located in the Waterton Lakes National Park. Um, and that's in the southwest corner of the province. Now, there were two couples staying with their two cars on one campsite. This incident occurred on the holiday of Victoria Day, um, the long weekend of 1988. The witness said, I first heard of this incident three months after it happened when Susan Ray Adams contacted me and told me her story. She called me on the night of August the 24th, 1988, after seeing my ad in the Calgary Press. Mr Steenberg added, I made arrangements to visit her home and interview all four witnesses separately. So I was impressed when I heard the story. I was so impressed, I delayed production of my first book, The Sasquatch in Alberta, so some details could be included. I also put portions of it on the interviews in my second book, Sasquatch and Bigfoot. When I visited Susan's home, all four witnesses questioned me extensively about Sasquatch in general. And it was obvious they were all still on pins and needles three months after their encounter with the Sasquatch. I was handed a copy of a handwritten letter which one of the four, Darwin Gillis, wrote for the park ranger's office the next day after the incident. Darwin wrote, Monday, May the 23rd. At approximately 12.50am at Crandall Lake Campground, we spotted a very unusual animal. We were sitting at our campfire relaxing when we heard some snorting. And we assumed it was a deer. But on further observation, we decided it was a bear and we bolted for the cars. The animal was on its hind legs and we switched on the headlights on one of the vehicles. And from the shadows, I could see the animals moving on its hind legs. So I called to the other vehicles to turn on their lights. What we saw was incredible. This animal was not only on its hind legs, it was striding like a human. I mean, we watched it walk through the trees for at least three to four seconds. And we're all convinced it's not a bear. We jumped in the same vehicle and followed in the general direction it disappeared in. We came across another vehicle and we flashed our lights. These people had also sighted something very strange and they were quite scared. 
this confirmed that we'd both seen the same thing. It is important to know that we are four mature, responsible, professional people. We thought very carefully before coming in to report this incident at the warden's office. All four of us are convinced that this was not a bear. I'm equally convinced it was not a practical joke, said Darwin. If it was, it was pretty elaborate and well done. From our sighting, the description we can give you is as follows. The animal was approximately eight feet tall, as measured by the tree that it was standing beside in our campsite. This animal was never on all fours. When we switched on the headlights and got a good look, this thing was striding and it had big strides at that. It also had long arms, which were swinging while it moved through the bush. It was not a bear. I don't know what more I can write about this incident. I would appreciate hearing anything that might explain what we saw or any additional sighting, if any. Darwin Gillies. Now, I can't tell Darwin what he saw as I wasn't with him in the car that night. But the description I've heard many times before. Darwin asked if there were any other reports of a creature that may possibly match his own. The creature was seen very close to the same campground where the couples were staying. Might just fit the bill. A man sees a Bigfoot on Cameron Lake and that happened in Canada in June of 2011. So a more recent report, but it fits with what the people saw. The witness in this case said, I'd arrived at Waterton National Park from Medicine Hat on the 16th of June 2011 and we camped for the night at the Crandall campsite. This was my first trip to the area and I was keen to bird watch. I was up ready for the first light on the 17th and I headed towards Cameron Lake on a road which had just been opened due to excessive snow. The area had been recommended to me as it was a great place for varied thrush and Stella's jays, two species I wanted to see. Having seen both species quickly in the lake car park, I switched to look at the scree slope when I was told there was a chance of me seeing a grizzly bear. I was looking at the slope through my Subgarski ATM-80 scope and occasionally switching to the top of a local tree to watch a singing thrush. The sighting was just after first light and the sun was still not in view and I'd been listening to the thrush singing in the dark. And as I was scanning the scree slope, I noticed movement in the tree line and as I switched my view, I noticed a large animal move out of the trees and out onto the slope. The slope was to my left on the road leading up to the lake car park and I'd pulled into a lay-by to view. And my initial thoughts were, oh great, it's a grizzly bear. That was quick. Before I describe what I saw, I shall give you some background to myself. I was a complete sceptic when it came to the idea of an undiscovered bipedal ape wandering around North America. And I thought the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot was a man in a gorilla suit. As a naturalist, I found it inconceivable that Bigfoot could exist and not be found. It should have been photographed and perhaps collected for science by now, surely. The mammal I saw walked out of the tree line on two legs. Its movement was fluid and it was most definitely not a bear walking. It was heading across the slope at a fast pace and it appeared not to be concerned with the scree. And at this point, I was in complete shock. I was looking at an animal which didn't exist. My view was partially blocked by trees as it headed into the slope, so I moved position quickly. And I looked at the animal through my Skaborski EL-1050 binoculars, leaving the scope where it was standing. 
I should have used my scope. I know, but the view was good, and I was able to move whilst looking through my binoculars. It was my movement that probably alerted the creature to my presence, and it moved behind a large boulder, ducking down as it did so, and it didn't reappear. It either remained where it was, or it was able to move off without seeing me. And as it walked, its arms were swinging, but not overly so. I was in shock, and I remained for at least another hour trying to see it leave. I talked myself into it just being a grizzly, and not what it actually was. My distance to this animal is open to interpretation. I seem to remember maybe only 300 or so metres away, but this may be more. Either way, I was in view of the creature, but I did not see it look directly at me. Its description overall was large and bulky, perhaps seven, seven and a half feet tall. It walked on two legs. It was the colour of dark brown, much darker than the local cinnamon black bears. I didn't notice the cone-shaped head or the face, but it did have hair all over the top, side and back, and it appeared to be shaggy. Its body was bulky, like a silverback gorilla. It was all hair covered, with a scraggly, unkempt appearance. It had large shoulders and pectoral muscles, and its arms were swinging, but not overtly so. They were, however, long, appearing almost bizarrely too long in comparison to a human's arms. It walked on two legs at all times, and the legs appeared short. The creature walked with purpose. It was fluid. It seemed to have no difficulty moving across the screen. It ducked down with ease, perhaps onto two feet and two hands. I just don't know. I left after an hour and I headed into Waterton for breakfast. And as I sat in the cafe, I was desperate to sell someone what had just happened, but I didn't do so. I've told no one since that day, apart from a brief outline of events as I introduced myself as a new member of the NAWAC an organisation that studies Sasquatch that I've now joined. My family are unaware of what I do or what I saw. They're all sceptics. They think I were barking mad. I watch Bigfoot documentaries on TV and YouTube and I devour every book available on the subject. I'm now a true believer. I've spent hours talking myself out of the sighting, questioning it, but I've never been able to do that. I've never been able to write it off. I know what I saw. And it was not a bear. I'm keen to return to North America and help out on the Sasquatch Wood Ape Expedition. And I intend to do so after I retire. I suppose it must be harder for a sceptic to accept, you know, share and describe their encounter with an impossible creature known by such monikers as the wood apes, devil monkeys and demons of the woods. As a sceptic, his brain is programmed to debunk and dismiss all information that is not considered credible or scientific. What's the famous quote? When you've ruled out all the probable, all you have left is the improbable. The mammal, as our witness called it, was clearly caught out. It probably crossed that way so many times before. And due to fate, on this day it was seen. The vanishing behind a rock can be seen as just that. Was there a cave or a crevice behind the rock that the creature could enter into? Or did it just simply vanish into a world that we failed to see? If so, why was it there? What was its reason to be on the slope that day? I guess we'll never know.
Robin Payette Bellamy was the man who investigated this case and he said, after a half century of nightmares, Winnipeg local Archie Motkulak, 70, has finally revealed the secret behind his decades of sleepless nights. One Christmas day at home on Lipson Street with all of the family around him, Archie brought out a book containing handwritten notes and a drawing of the Sasquatch that he had a very up-close and personal encounter with back on December the 29th, 1960. One by one, the family took Archie's book into a room adjoining their dining room and they read details of the day Archie clearly remembers. He remembers standing face to face, eight feet away from a female Sasquatch in the bush near Swan River, Manitoba, and wondering what was going to happen next. Home for Christmas from attending school in Winnipeg, Archie was visiting his parents' farm near Renwa and Manitoba, just southeast of Swan River, and had taken a team of horses and the sleigh to go and chop some wood three miles or so into the bush at the back of the farm. With the horses tied to some near brush, axe in his hand about 10.30am, Archie was chopping deadfall when about 400 yards across the clearing he was in, he spotted what he believed to be a man slowly heading his way. The man was stopping every few seconds to examine the bushes. He wasn't quite sure what the guy was up to. But by the time the man got within a 100 yards or so, Archie realised the visitor was a Sasquatch, who shortly after confronted Archie in a manner that just left him literally frozen in place till the fear subsided enough for both him and the Sasquatch to take a few steps back. Archie was recently watching a television programme in which the guest declared there was no such thing as Sasquatch and Archie just couldn't let it go. He decided, regardless of the outcome, it was time to share his experience. His description of the event is fascinating, particularly when he details the physical appearance and behaviour of his somewhat nerve-wracking forest friend. Archie said the only person he ever told of his encounter was his mother upon arriving home that day. His mum got him to sit down and draw a picture of it. The same picture you're seeing on screen now. The picture he displays on the front of his notebook. And if you want to see the image, just go to the description and there'll be a link to my YouTube channel there. Following the interview with Archer, Robin called University of Manitoba science writer Chris Rotoska to ask if he was aware of any other Sasquatch sightings reported from the area. He recalls Sasquatch sightings at Easterville in 1968 and 1970, one of them reported by a school principal. Googling Manitoba Sasquatch sightings, Robin said he also found another report, and this one had a video to it, and that was from March of 2007 near Pages. What did Archie Mockaluk see that winter day? He saw an upright being, immediately thought to be human walking on the edge of the woods. He was not under the influence of any alcohol or medication. He's a healthy 20-year-old man. He's in the area just to cut wood for his family. Archie was one of 11 children who works on his family farm. He knew his way around animals, both domestic and wild. From about the age of 12, he was included in hunting parties to bring back game for food for the family. He knew how to use a gun, and in fact had one with him that day. He had his gun with him that day, merely in case there was an opportunity to bring back some meat if the occasion arose, you know, he could have seen a rabbit or a grouse or whatever. He did not necessarily feel he needed protection. He simply was prepared for hunting if he saw anything worth bringing home. 
Archie travelled about three miles from the farmhouse with a team of horses and a small sleigh for carrying the firewood back. He tethered the horses to a tree that appeared to be dying and he took his axe to the tree line. The area where the family gathered their wood was a relatively large clearing, about 400 square yards, which Archie identified it as being about the size of four city blocks. He'd been there hundreds of times in his 20 years. He left the farmhouse at about 10am that day. It wasn't snowing and the area had considerably less snow than normal that year. In fact, there were only about four or five inches of snow on the ground and he recalls that it wasn't particularly cold. But in Manitoba, that could still mean it was below zero. At the far end of the clearing, Archie saw what he believed to be a man and it stood on two feet, completely upright. And he assumed it was one of the local farmers hunting for meat for the family. The man was walking slowly along the edge of the trees, stopping occasionally to pick and eat what Archie believed were cranberries and chokeberries. It is entirely possible that the creature was foraging for fruit left on the bushes and vines. Archie continued to watch the man as he was chopping his wood and after about an hour the man was approximately about 100 yards away and it was at that point Archie noticed something was wrong. By the time the creature was 50 yards away Archie believed he was seeing a Sasquatch. After graduating high school he'd worked for two years in the mines near Thompson, Manitoba and many of the workers there told stories of the, about the creature. And this sparked enough interest that, you know, he looked in the odd magazine and newspaper article. There weren't many things online available at the time, but he says he would read anything he found on the subject. Through the stories and articles, he believed that Sasquatch would only be found in British Columbia. You know, with a mere 50 yards between them, Archie stopped chucking wood and he watched. The creature came to within eight to ten feet of where he was standing. Archie at the time was six foot tall, six foot four, and at that time he weighed about 220 pounds. And he describes the Sasquatch as slightly shorter than him, but would weigh in at about 325 pounds, and it was clearly female. He could not see genitalia, but her breasts were clearly evident. The two stared at each other and the creature made snarling, hissing, groaning and grunting sounds as well as grinding its teeth. This went on for what seemed like six or seven minutes and then the animals stopped making noise and they continued to stare at each other for an additional four or five minutes. Archie says he felt frozen to the spot, unable to move and eventually he was able to take a step back. When he did so, the Sasquatch also took a single step back. They continued this pattern, with each taking two or three steps backwards until they were about 20 yards apart. The Sasquatch turned and began foraging for food, and Archie returned to his sleigh. Once seated on the sleigh, he began to relax and ate his lunch. He then took his axe, and this time his rifle, and he went back to chop wood. The Sasquatch was still there watching him. Because of the close proximity, Archie was able to get quite a detailed description. He says the Sasquatch was covered in very fine hair that was dark brown in colour. The hair was no longer than one inch and it was shiny, much like that of a domestic house cat. She had a light brown face without fur, although the hair did continue onto the neck. Only the back of its ears had fur. And he describes the visage of that of a middle-aged Aboriginal woman with a stern face. His teeth were wider than normal human teeth 
he estimated about five-eighths of an inch wide. There was no distinct canines or fangs, leading Archie to believe the Sasquatch was possibly vegetarian. The soles of its feet and the palms of its hands were grey, and the tops of each had the same fine hair. Archie said it looked very human and nothing at all like a monkey or a native primate. The arms were proportional to the body in the same way as a human. The fingers were a bit fat, but not disproportionate to the overall size of the animal. He likened it to photos that he'd seen of Neanderthal men. There was no distinct smell of any kind, and the animal appeared very clean and well-groomed. Its face was distinctly human. The nose was slightly larger than average but definitely not flat like a primate. There were eyebrows of a darker colour than the face, as well as very human-looking eyes. He believes they were brown. Her ears were clearly visible and looked human, and he jokingly said what he saw was basically a 325-pound hairy woman. Archie said that many enthusiasts describe Sasquatch as having no neck, but that is definitely not the case with the creature that he saw. When he saw, it had at least three inches of a neck and it was able to look from side to side without turning its body. He did say that he does not believe that that Sasquatch was capable of running, at least not very fast. He describes the gait as a side-to-side -side wobble. Again, much like a large and heavy human woman or perhaps a child who's just learning to walk. He also said that from time to time the Sasquatch would have difficulty picking up the small berries from the ground. The Sasquatch stayed in the area with him for a total of about four hours. Archie finished his wood chopping and loaded his sleigh and returned home. And he is certain the Sasquatch was still standing there watching him when he left. Archie returned to his family farm about 4pm and his father reminded him to groom and stable the horses. And after that Archie went into the house. His mother was immediately concerned and asked what was wrong, saying he looked as white as a ghost. Archie assured her that nothing was wrong and he retired to his room where he wrote the whole incident down. He had no regular paper, so he wrote it down on a brown paper bag. When he returned to his mother, she would not let up and she urged him to tell her what was wrong. And he told her of the sighting and she had him draw what he saw. His mum was an avid reader and knew of Sasquatch and never tried to tell him he was mistaken. He took his writings and his drawings and he put them in an envelope where they stayed, untouched, in his basement in Winnipeg for nearly 50 years. Archie was raised Ukrainian Orthodox and he still considers himself a man of faith. He has no other events in his life that he would consider paranormal. He has had reoccurring nightmares of the encounter though. And for the first 10 years after the sighting, he did seek medical help to get to sleep. Otherwise, he doesn't think that encounter has changed anything for him. He was watching Outdoor Life Network and he was interested in a show about Bigfoot or Sasquatch. And there was a supposed expert from the Pacific Northwest who said that the phenomenon was not real. The expert felt that this was just a product of imagination. So Archie was outraged and he decided that his story needed to be told. And until that time, he had not told nobody except his mother. Because when he would think about it, he would become upset. His wife of almost half a century didn't even know. He talked to her, 
and then he rewrote his notes into an article and he tried to get them printed in the Winnipeg Free Press. Because it was 11 pages long, they refused to run it. So he took it to the Winnipeg Sun. They questioned him for two hours about what he'd seen and finally decided that he wasn't lying. They promised to run the article, but in fact only ran a small human interest piece based on the interview. Since then, he's been on the radio once and was promised to be brought back in for a call show. That never happened because the station felt it'd become old news by then. Archer is understandably frustrated with the media and he's not seeking any fame or recognition with his sighting experience. He has not attempted to sell his story in any way or fashion. Chris spoke with Archer for well over an hour via the telephone and he said, I found him to be very likeable, of at least average intelligent and smarter, very proud of his uh, heritage. I saw no signs of mental illness, nor do I believe he manufactured this sighting. I encouraged him to protect his original notes and drawings and to carefully select someone to receive them when he is no longer able to keep them. Although his exposure to discussion of Sasquatch prior to his sighting is somewhat problematic, what he describes is not typical. I would agree with some of what Chris had to say there, but there are people who have an interest in Sasquatch or Bigfoot that do actually go on to have encounters. I don't think that should be real, given a reason to rule anybody out. I can understand Archie's frustration. So many experts shut down new witnesses as the sighting doesn't match their theory. It isn't right for their criteria. It doesn't match what they know. I find this ridiculous. It's like buying a jigsaw and not using all the pieces you have because you've already decided what the image is without looking at the box. Ego is what experts crave. It's different for a witness. It's different from an experiencer. They have more questions than answers. Archie's sighting report is very rare. A female Sasquatch is rarely seen, let alone reported. Yet if Robert Bellamy had not taken the time to record this experience and share it with Chris, we would not have known about the case. It would have faded into obscurity, as would our next report tonight. This story was reported to Bill Mason of Winnipeg on behalf of the witness and it is a transcript of a telephone interview that he did with a lady that explained how her father had shot and killed a strange creature on their farm. The lady in question is Joyce, Mrs Joyce A. Russell, and she called Bill Mason with the following information. Aged 82 years old at the time, she said that in the year of 1927 or 28, while living on a farm in the area of March and Manitoba, eight to ten miles east of town, her father shot and killed a strange creature. She said that it was about five and a half feet tall, with a fat belly and long arms. It was covered in long, oily hair, and she remembered how the hair felt. Its eyes were all black, with no white showing, which she found odd. She said that she remembered the creature hanging around the farm for a long time that summer, and her father was afraid for the family cow. So he finally just shot the creature. She remembered that her two brothers and her father went and buried the creature in the bush behind the farm. Being young, Joyce just tagged along. And she remembered when questioned, the body lying on its back with its eyes and mouth open. The creature had been shot in the upper back. 
Bill asked her if she thought it may have been human, to which she replied, At the time, we thought it may have been, but my father wanted to get rid of it as quickly as possible because of the smell it was making. He thought it was rolling in manure in the field where they kept our livestock. Joyce recalled the thing being around the farm in the evenings and mornings and remembered the strange sounds that it made, hoots and a sound that sounded almost like woo. She claimed it was a sad sound, not frightening. And as to the sight of the buried body, she recalls it being in a clump of evergreen trees, behind and away from the farm buildings, where all the waste was put. This was relayed to Bill, he said via a phone call, as Joyce was visiting Winnipeg from the B2C interior, and she'd seen one of the cars that he'd left around places so people could report Sasquatch reports. He said this is a strange report, but it happened so long ago that the details are now difficult, if not impossible, to follow up. But at the time, I questioned some old-timers in the area, and they all recalled nothing really about this. But if the family kept it to themselves, that's not surprising. Bill Mason. I would agree. It isn't surprising, is it? You think you'd put yourself all the way back there to the 1920s. You've got an awful lot going on regardless of Sasquatch and then you're supposed to tell your neighbours that you've seen this creature on your land. I think it's going to happen, is it? Our last case tonight came to Chris via Timothy D. Irvick, Director of Ontario Wildlife Field Research. The event happened in April 2009 at 2.39pm. The location is a cabin in a small lake just outside Lady Evelyn Smoothwater Park in Ontario. The witness states, At approximately 2.39pm in the afternoon, Mrs. Hybert was opening the blinds in the back bedroom of the cabin and noticed a very large, hairy, upright creature on top of the hill, about 50 to 70 yards away. She informed her husband, who grabbed his digital camera and went outside to take a picture of it. While walking around the back corner of the cabin, powering up his camera, out the corner of his eye, he noticed that he had seen him and it had frozen in place. He had to delete several pictures from his SD card in order to be able to take the photographs. He managed to take two photographs and while looking down at the camera, it just disappeared, only to reappear 15 minutes later over at the woodpile. The creature was peeking at him from the tree line beside the path. It was approximately 10 feet tall and very massively built. The creature is roughly estimated to be twice the size of the witness and three pictures were taken in all. The pictures were taken from the back of the cottage looking up the hill from the top of the prone pane tank cabinet. This thing stood perfectly still for what seemed like five minutes. I turned my head for a split second and it was gone. In the following weeks, the screens were pushed in or torn off some windows of the cabin. And this encounter was reported in New Liscard on April 28th of 2009. Three digitally transferred pictures were left with the wildlife officer as one of well one page of a written report on the incident and the witness's phone number. The officer they spoke with found it hard to believe that what they were reporting and asked them, are you serious about this? And just laughed. A game warden and several biologists attended the cabin and stayed several days investigating and taking pictures in the area. They stayed on after the witnesses left. In 2010, the witness sold the cabin 
because the witness's wife was no longer comfortable and afraid to go there. They believe the cabin has since been torn down. Previously in the summer of 2004, on another visit to their cabin, they were awoken at 2am by what seemed like really deep, penetrating ground thuds, like something was picking up a huge boulder and was pounding it on the ground and it shook the entire landscape. It went on for about 20 minutes and was very random, maybe 10 or 15 hits on the ground. It was very singular and deep, like a seismic thumper truck. The last hit to the ground was followed by the sound of big trees cracking about 150 yards out. The witness made coffee and stayed up till dawn that night. In 2006, after lending a local friend and three others the cabin for hunting season, there was reports of two black or dark blue helicopters flying low and circling for several days and nights in the area. It was definitely not fishing game people doing the rabies cue drops. This would have been fall of 2006. So it's assumed they were looking for something or something that was also the first year in many that nobody had received a moose tag and that was really strange. In 2007, there were three large boulders put in the road at the bottom of the hill as you came up to the top of the lake. It looked like they were rolled down the hill and placed there. Two of the boulders came right up to the door of the truck. One was the height of the bumper and one was then was still there in 2010 because people have to drive around it now. And as I say, that report was made by Timothy Irvick. I hope you have enjoyed this case shared with us by Chris. He's done an outstanding job over the years and he's worked with so many witnesses and it's an honour to share his work with you all. I've included a link to the Sasquatch Canada website run by Chris as there is a wealth of reports and articles I think you'll find interesting and also his theory on quantum worlds. Thank you to my listeners old and new and to my patrons and YouTube members who support what we do here at BBR and to everyone who tunes in on a Saturday at 8pm and joins in the chat that's a special shout out to you guys. I share exclusive content on the OWS platforms and early sighting reports before they're made public. Just pop along to my YouTube members or to Patreon if you want to see them. I'll be back next Saturday at 8pm in my usual spot. And as always, there'll be a chat to answer any questions that you may have. Or you can join in and chat with like-minded people. Or just relax and enjoy the tales as I share them with you all. Good night, everyone.
leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.